1: Hi, this is Alan Clark of the Hollies, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast.
0: Pantheon Podcast presents... Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist, Christian Swain. Music. Culture. Technology. And rock and roll. Now... With the show.
2: I gotta take a little time. A uh, little time to think things over. I better read between the lines in case I need it when I'm older diggers. Hello. Konnichiwa. Hola. Aloha. Niao. Bienvenue to Deeper Digs this week. Got a big one on tap for you. Mick Jones from Foreigner is in the house. All right, let's get some quick business out of the way. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Finally, episode 19 of the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast is in production. Uh, It's part two of our 1969 take uh, where we believe peak America and peak revolutionary rock and roll resides. Not that we won't see some amazing stuff down the line in the 70s, 80s, and beyond, but Just that we will be entering a new world as we leave the 1960s behind and go from the music being more revolutionary to being more evolutionary. All right, I'll give you a quick preview. Uh, Let's see. We left off uh, episode 18 with the Beatles on the rooftop uh, in uh, Mayfair, London, uh, and the Stones in Hyde Park, uh, London, memorializing their old founder, Brian Jones, in the first part of the year. Uh, We then took you to the moon and showed how science fiction in books, TV, and movies affected the music and vice versa. Part two finishes off the year with the two big polar opposite cultural events uh, Woodstock and Altamont. Uh, But are they that different? (laughs) Looking deeper, it appears to us each could have easily gone the other's way. Big difference? Well, probably set and setting, as our old friend Timothy Leary suggests. Maybe one being in a bucolic location in summer with water and beauty uh, is a better choice than some hilly scrub brush in December where the winds howl cold. More importantly, though, is that uh, another old friend's vision of the future has come true. Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message in episode nine. Well, in 1969, with all of these events being filmed now, 50 years later, it is evident these films of those events are what we remember and not the actual events themselves, leading us to conclude 1969 is the beginning of our mediated reality that uh, we all swim in these days. Ah, just a few more weeks and it will be in your hands, diggers. Okay, just a little AdamandEve.com business here. Uh, Well, it sure sounds like you diggers have been paying attention and perhaps needed to fill quarantine time with some sexy stuff. Uh, We did pretty good last month when we got our first report, so we are keeping our sponsorship of AdamandEve.com. Please go get 50% off almost any single item and then at checkout use the code digs d-i-g-s for all kinds of extra free stuff plus free shipping it's just that easy adamandeve.com with the checkout code d-i-g-s digs there's the sex uh the the drugs you you got to get on your own Uh, maybe next week we'll have a cbd or thc ad huh but now let's get to the rock and roll
3: If that's what it takes me Baby To show how much you
2: very very special guest is with us today the architect of the band foreigner Mick jones will be joining us a lot of people give these guys a hard time um, called arena rock or corporate rock sometimes i know many of you may be turning your nose up and thinking these are the guys who helped destroy rock and roll or they were playing it safe while others were out there changing the world you know I can even hear myself say that at one time or another, but really, uh, that's unfair. Uh, Were they huge between 1977 and 1985? (laughs) Without doubt, Uh, they owned the charts. And yes, they never stray far from their original classic rock sound. Though I'd say they did keep adding subtle tricks along the way that capitalized on their previous successes and made them even bigger and bigger. Here's what I see now. First, uh, it is impossibly hard to write a hit song. Just one. <laughs> I will gladly nod in approval to just about anyone who can pull that off. Now, how about pulling it off more than a dozen times? Yeah, that is very special. As for influence, um, maybe Mick and the Foreigner Boys didn't cause ripples through the ages, But they certainly did in their time. They were impossible to ignore if you were in the charts game at that time. Uh, In fact, uh, purely by coincidence, uh, on the day I spoke to Mick, unbeknownst to me, our friend Martin Popoff on his History in Five Songs podcast released an episode entitled The Foreigner Effect where Martin shows how Mick's extraordinary success influenced some other rock acts, like Rainbow, Uriah Heep, Ted Nugent, and Bad Company. Well, Mick did help produce their 1986 Fame and Fortune album, so that one is not a complete surprise. So you see, uh, there was some influence there at the time. Uh, how successful were they at selling hits? Well, to the tune of 80 million records worldwide, 16 top 40 songs. So who is Mick Jones? Why does he get all the accolades from the band's success? Well, as I said at the top, he was the architect. Uh, He's the guy that slaved for 15 years, paying his dues as sideman, assistant, producer, etc. You know, living small and close to the ground so he could avoid becoming a dentist. Yeah, he and Roger Taylor were going to open a practice in Norwich. Oh, I kid, I kid, I kid. Well, sort of, as you'll see. Born in Portsmouth, uh, in the very south of England, he fell in love with rock and roll just like the rest of us, and then he got some lucky breaks, as you will hear. Very early lessons in the UK, going to France to work with Johnny Halliday and others, hanging with the Beatles just before they are coming to America, working with Jimmy Page, on and on. And then he hooks up with Gary Wright of Spooky Tooth, where Mick is in the last iterations of that act. But that is the prototype. That is where it all comes together in Mick's head. Then it's just assembling the right guys together. All of that accumulates in finding the voice, the singular voice that just fits perfectly for the music he puts together in demos. Of course, I'm talking about the amazing soulful sounds of Mr. Lou Graham. Together, the two of them for about 10 years can do no wrong. From the opening track of the first album, feels like the first time, to the monster-powered ballad, I Want to Know What Love Is, there (laughs) is just no stopping these guys. But by 1990, like many things, the music has changed drastically, and the partnership between Mick and Lou was at a low ebb. So they did what bands do. There was a split. Uh, But it came and went for several years. They would get back together, and while they could get it back on tour, it didn't really happen on record anymore. In 2006, Mick made a more permanent change and brought in Kelly Hansen on vocals, who could do the big singing and perhaps brought more uh, dynamic frontman capabilities with him. He's been with Mick ever since, and together in 2009, Foreigner was able to crack the top 40 once again. This year, the band was about to do something insanely cool. Um, Back in 2017, Lou Graham, Dennis Elliott, Ian McDonald, and Al Greenwood all original members, would join the current lineup for select shows and for a few songs. Uh, Last year became a little more frequent, uh, though Lou continues to have health issues. So what was anticipated to be more of a tour called Double Vision then and now uh, didn't quite materialize. But this year, they were ready to really do it, along with bringing Kansas along with them to open. It would have been classic rock heaven. Uh, That is, until COVID-19 hit, and we know everybody is now off the road. So, we are honored to have Mick's first interview since the concert business crashed, along with most everything else due to the pandemic. We do talk a little bit about it and what might be on the other side of this whole mess— Um, But mostly, I want to get the full career story of the man and how the pieces all fit together in the creation of Foreigner. So what's a guy going to do when he can't be on stage being a jukebox hero? He is going to talk to me in great detail about how he got to be one of the most successful songwriters of the rock and roll era. Go grab a good cup of tea and let's get to know Mick Jones a Foreigner. Welcome to Deeper Digs, Mick Jones. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. I'm um, the sun's out and uh, it's a beautiful day where I am, and um, enjoying life while we can. That's
2: fantastic <laughs> to hear. Uh, yeah. Even though we are all in, uh, you know, a strange reality uh, yeah. that uh, I don't think any of us have seen, um, uh, certainly on a global scale uh, since World War II. Um, So let me start with a a temperature check on that 800-pound gorilla. You know, as a veteran touring and recording artist, um, you know, uh, let me get your take on on maybe what you see on the other side of this global crisis, um, you know, specifically for music.
1: Um, Well, I think um, people are obviously starting to... um, form some kind of defense uh, uh, just really to, to try and preserve the better parts of what of, of um, you know what we've brought into the solar system mm-hmm. or you know I, I I think people are desperate for that I think that's going to help people that want to see a world that is um, um, more dedicated to the well-being of all people. Mm-hmm. Um not just the chosen few or the 1% whatever it is. Yeah. Um and you know I I don't know if it's it's politically it it is a problem you know um the great ideas floating around uh for the future but um if it ends up being um corralled by co- corporate uh, America, then it's not going to go very far or it's going to go in exactly the same direction and we'll have gained nothing. So it's important that people um, speak up. When you say speak up, it's always sends, you know, people go, oh, oh communist. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, that's, that's what they think. That's why they let people like Mitch McConnell Mm. on the loose you know Mm. so he can um
2: protect his corporate clients yeah 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 yeah. i hear you there uh you know, yeah. uh, I I think it's fair, and and just so the audience knows, you you live in New York, uh, which you know mm-hmm. is at this point the epicenter of this god awful yeah. pandemic. Uh, the the state itself has um, recorded almost uh, a sixth of all the deaths around the world mm-hmm. uh, as it stands yeah. right now, and 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 then you look at America from a larger scale, uh, and we now we have one third of the uh cases uh in the world, and I think that proves really? that we just did not do a very good job of managing this,
1: yeah and well I don't, and we did a, an atrocious job of managing yeah 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 but um there's one person that will always deny that you know we know who that, <laughs> that is that toddler
2: the toddler in chief yeah uh, as I like yeah. to refer to him, and I think you would agree here. Um, Agent Orange. Orange. (laughs) That's another good nickname. (laughs) Yes, we've all got plenty of them. uh, uh, But, hey, there's something that we can all certainly do about that come November. And uh, Mm -hmm. I I hope those of us that uh, uh, have access uh, to the franchise of voting uh, exercise it uh, mm-hmm. in droves, uh, there, I, I, think a very large statement needs to, to occur. Uh, that is, if we can even make it till November, we're, that's still six yeah. months out. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, both, uh, not only do we have, uh, you know, a, a viral, uh, pandemic, uh, on our hands, uh, which, uh, is killing, uh, our population at about a 5% click. Um, uh, it is also, uh, turned into an economic, uh, disaster yeah. that, regardless of the the virus, will be with yeah. us for for some time, and that is affecting, um, you know, certainly uh, your world uh, and and my world. The, you know, the thing that we talk about every day and you practice every day, which is you know music, and it, uh, you know, I, I, I now have gone. Three months uh, since uh, uh, my last concert. And by the way, my, my, my last show for you was an, a new British rock outfit uh, uh, out called The Struts. That was the last concert I got to see. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with really? them. Were um, they good? Oh, they're great. If you if you're if you're not familiar with them, you go listen to them. I think you'd enjoy them. Uh, they 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 sound like they're in your cup of tea. They uh, they are a oh, little I bit of a, a little bit of a, of a queen. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, their lead uh, singer Luke Spiller has has been uh, mentioned uh, along with the likes of uh, Mr. Mercury, uh, and uh, uh-huh. so um, uh, great band. But that was that was our last uh, our last uh, venture out yeah. to see a concert, and yeah. it's it's been three months, which is. Unheard of in my life uh, to go that yeah. long without seeing. Well, it, it's
1: the whole, uh, the whole list that comes underneath the heading entertainment. Yeah. Really. Everything. yeah. Um, everything is shut down. Movies, mm-hmm. sport um, is a huge one. Yeah. Movies as well. Yeah. I mean, people, there are definitely a movie addicts uh, around. Yeah. And. Um, you can't go to you know, a So, I mean, it really does. It really covers the whole gamut of of everything that we want to do outside of a job,
2: you know. Yeah, and then we lost you guys. Uh, You were going to tour with Kansas uh, this year, which would have been a fantastic double bill. And uh, and Kansas was just kind of coming back. I think they have a new album that they're about ready to release, Mm -hmm. and that would have been just just an amazing uh, opportunity uh, out there. So, uh, again, uh, you know, once we get to... You know, let's say we can control the the virus and we can kind of get back into uh, a concert setting. You know, do do you mm-hmm. see it returning to that, or do you see something different?
1: Well, um, I I think uh, I hope there are some things different. Um, uh, I don't have a list prepared of of what I'd like, but. Um, you know, there's definitely um, improvements uh, as far as you know people being able to afford to go to uh, yeah,
2: that's for their entertainment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Um, which is which is a big issue. You know, yeah, yeah. And
4: Can't I understand, you know, I,
1: I understand the um, the economics of it, but it's going to be um, a, a battle between the economics and the um, and the lighter side of uh, of life, you know, of, uh, of of entertainment and the arts, the visual, you know, movies. Try and make to gradually start to make this uh, into um, a better a better environment for everybody, a better place to, to live, a better place. To raise children to a better place um, for educational purposes, and uh, you know, there's a lot of great things that lie waiting if we can only find them or or find the courage to go out and um, and and find them and and encourage people. I mean, I don't mean preach preach to people, but which, you know, unfortunately sometimes goes hand in hand mm. and you get people preaching about stuff. I don't think that's what we need. I think we need um, genuine willingness to go and defend what we have that is good and to protect what we have in our future.
2: Yeah, uh, I think what you're saying is that uh, those of us who may be— um, usually prefer to be silent, need to speak up uh, and protect those things that we value uh, as positives and reject uh, those things that are negatively influencing our lives. Um, uh, I think, you know, I, I'm not afraid to say that, uh, you know, this pandemic is just one instance in um, our uh, our climate change or, or more importantly, our impact on our environment that humans are making and that Mother Nature might be uh beginning to SWAT back at us. And uh, we probably need to uh pay attention uh to yeah. that and, and learn the lesson uh for, from a spanking like this as opposed to what could be even worse uh in our future.
1: Yeah. Well let's let's well, get hopefully our, our our God is friendly. Yeah. And um yeah hopefully he's willing to give us another chance <laughs> you know but cross, uh, cross we really fingers. have screwed it up so far
2: yeah yeah some of us have uh, i don't think yeah, you fit in I know, that category yeah. uh you on the other right. hand are, are uh, a musician that has been done nothing but given us great musical works uh, throughout your life. And so let's, let's get into that. Let's, let's get into some fun stuff yeah. here. So enough you know, politics, enough politics <laughs> and, and all that, but uh, you know, we have yeah. to address uh, the, the pandemic and what's going on. Cause it is, it's affected, yeah. it's affected, you know, a great star like yourself is actually affected just like the lowest, individual that you can think of on this planet uh and and that is the great equalizer uh out here is we mm-hmm. all should be having a new perspective of where we're at but let's start with you all right so if you hadn't chosen a career in music um you know what were the other options uh you know uh, anything from lorry driver to uh, astrophysicist uh like your buddy brian may is uh, mm-hmm. You know, where, where where do you think you would have ended up had uh, you know the muse not touched you when you were young?
1: Well, I was thinking about um, studying to be a dentist.
2: Mm. <laughs> oh, back to Queen, like uh, yeah. Roger Taylor, the
4: drummer. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> you and That's Roger
2: would have started a practice together then.
1: Well, I I I, I figured that um, teeth were. Very important to people. Uh, <laughs> Especially, it's very difficult. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. And that um, was uh, a very well paid um, occupation, yeah. let's say. Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, that uh, it didn't quite take as long as the other medical branches to. To reach some point of uh you know being um, oh, passing exams and all I, that. I just learned so I about whole, it. You're a pragmatic thinking,
2: person, okay.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I was on the ball there. But um <laughs> and I've actually got a lot of, I've met a lot of dental friends uh over the years, dentists and mm. people that work in dentistry. Mm. And I always make makes me chuckle, of, you know.
2: Yeah, are you still fascinated what, what, with that? Yeah, do you still go, hmm, you know, I wonder if I could still do that uh, <laughs> Be a dentist <laughs> that, that. <clears throat> Mick Jones, rock star by night, dentist by day uh, there you go. So it, let's say that you ended up being a dentist uh in uh Portsmouth which I, I believe you're you're originally from. Uh would you still be maybe playing music on the side busking uh, out there uh, in between your uh your dental practice and maybe playing the the pubs with uh, with mates?
1: Well, you know, um really um it, it was it was a hobby. Is what it was at the beginning mm-hmm. I just happened myself and uh, you know four or five of my friends you know we were living this sort of um, we weren't really living a school life we were emulating what it was going to be like to be a, a little older and heavy accent on um, you know on uh, image um Playing great music, dressing really well mm. with what we could sc- mm. <laughs> scrape together, you know, and uh, making it, you know, looking good for the girls. That was a good motivator. Were
2: us. Were you a bit of a Teddy boy?
1: No. No, no I wasn't. Was it, I, were
2: you, were you a, a rocker?
1: That was that was te- that was before my time. Oh, was uh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, um I I was actually lucky I wasn't exposed to to that too much. Mm-hmm. We were kinda of good we were sort of uh we dressed like as Ivy Leaguers and uh-huh. uh went uh, undercover under cover of the night. <laughs>
4: <laughs> all right, all right But so- we
1: did, we did. We 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 got together and it was about having Fun and about dreaming about what we could achieve, and uh, gradually seeing through the fog, and that, that there was a possibility that I could make um, a go of it, and uh, and really, you know, answer the call. Yeah cuz you, you and, grew up uh, in
2: in in a, in a depressed uh England uh, after the war uh yeah. and uh probably you know you lived through the rationing period which i don't think ended until the late 1950s right Right So yeah the yeah. The, the only option was to think aspirational
1: Mhm Yeah well i i i was lucky my my father had a was um, you know had a, had a good job and um, was able to keep us in sort of you know mm-hmm. kind of middle class, not not upper middle class, but uh, definitely um, what one would call comfortable, I guess. Yeah. And um, so I was fortunate with that, but nevertheless, you know, I had the realities of how how do I find and how do I pay for my first guitar, for example. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And my father, you know, um, didn't necessarily make it easy. He made it like, you know, okay, well, if you really want that, you, you better find a way of paying for it. And, um, so short of robbing banks, you know, (laughs) I, uh, (laughs) to my old, my old favorite, the music. Um, but, uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I just lived it. I lived, it was a fantasy, you know, um, the, the, the style, the clothing styles. Um, and then, you know, just people like Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran and Chuck Berry and all those people sort of were on the wallpaper, you know, in the room. And, um, Uh, I I had a genuine passion for it. I I had a feeling that I knew what it was. I kind of had an idea what it was like in America. And um, I guess I was trying to, you know, to, to build my personality and my character with the help of all that reference from those great musicians and. Great entertainers, great guitar players, great—you know—musicians all round. And um, I couldn't imagine rising to that height, you know, and to be um, emulated by so many people. Uh-huh. It's just mind-boggling, you know, how far I was fortunate for my music to have reached, and how popular to become eventually yeah. and um you know it it was a lot of hard work yeah it wasn't you tremendous you're, 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 amount of hard
2: work you are not an overnight success it you you are a no. journeyman you paid your dues and we're, we're going to get into mm. that
0: here's a quick word from our sponsors we'll be back in a bit
2: hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds
4: But you
2: know, you mentioned Gene Vincent, um, uh, Eddie Cochran. uh, I I can see those as heroes for you. You know, last weekend we just lost the architect, Little Richard. Um, You know, and so you know, who was your favorite uh, from that original class of rock and rollers?
1: Well, um, I would say I I played with. um, Let me see. I played with um, uh, Jerry Lewis. Oh, I did uh, an album with him called um, "Live at, Live in London." I think it was called. Uh huh. That was in the mid. Um, that was in the mid seventies. That was the first uh, time I'd been in the presence of of uh, some one of my heroes. Yeah, basically. one of the original legends. Well, actually, right. Yeah, was it him and was um, uh, was Little Richard mm-hmm. and. Uh, who I also played with briefly. Uh, my friend of mine was a, uh, a guitar player who played on most of the tours that came to England. They wouldn't bring the necessarily, you know, the, the, the full count. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, he uh, he was the, the go-to guy they went to, and he would uh, he would even take me up to London, you know, with him on a saturday morning when the radio show started and this was all live and um he'd uh, get me into the studio and uh and i just i just remember being there and like hanging out as if i was uh, belong you know? wow. right and um and i always remember you know having to sort of turn around and think oh well here i go i've got to get that milk train again and uh get back to my little town where I live and uh, get back to reality. And okay, well, we climbed another, up to another floor tonight and uh, let's keep going. And, um, you know, so I, I, I kind of learned that I had to really, it had to become the most important thing in my life and that I really was going to need to, Make a lot of sacrifices, and um, if I wanted to pursue it, uh, as I believe any artist really does, you know, make make a lot of sacrifices um, in your personal life, you know, in everything that um, keeps you going, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and just try and remain and try and be inventive and try and put your heart and soul into into what um to what you want to do and uh, the more you put in it's the old adage you, you know the more you get out. Yeah. And um and there's uh, the only trick to that is um hard work.
2: No plan and B. The, the the dentistry and, was and now, put aside for the music. Yes. Exactly. Completely and utterly. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that yeah. story many times. Uh, yeah. For, when talking to uh, to the greats, is that that look in the end, it, it's a job, and and you have mm-hmm. to treat it completely and utterly like that, and you there is no plan B. This is this is it, and you're going to make it go one way or another, uh, and uh, you know through hard work and sacrifice, as we'll mm-hmm. we'll see as we go through this, uh, it it, it yeah. slowly uh, comes about. So, you know, were <clears throat> were you, were you a, a voracious listener and collector like of records and things like that or was it more um learning through osmosis as a working musician to achieve your your own
1: style? yeah I, I mean um i had no training at all except for friends i had who i would uh, who would help me to you know discover new new chord sequences new things that i uh, you know, I, I I started to play piano at the beginning of um, *Foreigner*, but I had tinkered around on it and not very successfully, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but um, but um, I kind of developed my own style, and I I was willing to take a chance that I could turn that style into sort of my personality of playing.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: and Mm -hmm. and um i'm not saying i mean plus the fact that i was lazy too and couldn't be bothered we're all musicians uh, that that
2: goes with the territory yeah
1: Yeah.
2: it is all about trying um, not to keep a real job when you get right
1: down to it (laughs) yeah absolutely that was that was my um that was my motto yeah yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and
1: you. And I'm so glad I didn't keep a real job. No,
2: I, we're glad you I would didn't have missed a, a real tremendous man. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, uh, and you do. You, you, you have a very distinct style of 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 guitar playing. Uh, I hear it, and Thank you. and I, as I've reacquainted myself with uh, your catalog over the last few days, you know, I can pick it out now. I can kind of mm-hmm. say to myself, Ah, oh, there's. I mean, just and some really, really great hooks, uh, and and great lines. You know, I, I wouldn't call you a flashy player uh you know no. but but just just really tasteful uh uh in uh in your plane and 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 uh, and again it's one of those things that you you know when you put it on you you just know oh yeah, there's Mick Jones, you can you can hear it every time so
1: well that's 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 very kind of you i like that uh that means a lot because it means ah maybe uh Planted a few seeds there and you did. You left a few things here and there, left a few suitcases (laughs) (laughs) unopened.
4: Yes, you
2: have. You have. Okay, so you were born in 44, and by 1961, I think you're 17, you have a couple of minor hits in the UK with Nero and the Gladiators. So, what, what was that first taste of success like? And especially because this is for for us Americans this is pre-beatles england so you know yeah. how, how was that in 61 you know kind of getting your first little taste of uh, of uh, fame and fortune
1: well um i didn't um actually play on those they they had 27 different guitar players in near and the gladiators oh wow and i was like the 28th or something <laughs> But I joined the band. They they auditioned me. It was my first uh, opportunity to play a professional gig,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and um, I stood in for one of my friends. I think it, we were. Yeah, it was with uh, Mike Berry and the Outlaws. I, if you look back a long way, you'll find references to him. Mm-hmm. He was uh, his band was like a school for for musicians for.
2: Yeah,
1: kind of, kind of like
2: an, uh, an Alexis Corner character.
1: In a in a way, but I would say more like um, a little more polished.
4: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: um, they had a couple of hits with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a song about Buddy Holly. Oh God, what was it called? Um, anyway, look, you can Google him. You'll... Yeah. Mike Berry and the Outlaws, and that was my first gig. And um, I was like, on the on the one one part, you know, really excited. On the other on the other side, I was like nervous as hell and didn't know whether I could even do it, you know. But uh, that was my first test, and that was the one that was the first hurdle mm-hmm. was being able to, to do it. And to do it right, and uh, that's when the whole—that's when it all started. It all uh, opened
2: up for you. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not saying it was easy from there either. But no, uh, no. A lot of, um, yeah, a lot of living conditions weren't uh, very luxurious, and uh, nor was the, uh, you know, the food. When I started to live in Paris, and that at least that changed.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's get into that because this is really fascinating for me. Um, So the gladiators break up, uh, um, uh, Mike Barry and the outlaws, I I, I take it uh, that work dried up, and you head to France from 65 to 71. You know, that's kind of an unusual path, and uh, why and and how? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I just, I'd always had a. a um, love of France. It was the only. Uh, it was the only subject that I excelled in at school. French. Oh. And, um, but you know, I was. I just fell into the. The whole the lifestyle, the the glamour, you know, the um, all the stuff. I didn't really realise how much culture I was taking in, you know, but. Mm, hmm. And then when I first went back to France after, after the States, after we'd had our first uh, success, I'm walking around Paris and I'm looking at the buildings. And I'm going, my God, I lived here in all this incredible beauty because all I saw was like streets with office buildings and I mean, very beautiful, but nevertheless, um, my mind was somewhere else. It wasn't on art. Yeah. Although it was art was the backdrop, um, it was on um, you know living the life, learning about the wine, learning uh, how to, to to distinguish one Bordeaux wine from another, and uh, so that was top of my list. <laughs> and I, it did help, you know. I mean, I guess Jack Daniels is, is more you know in line for like English American bands, but. <laughs> But my, <laughs> mine was certainly the high end of Bordeaux and <laughs> Burgundy. Oh, oh
4: yeah.
2: yeah. Yes. Uh uh I uh, I spent a little time in the south of France and um uh, went quite a bit of wine tasting uh uh the, oh, there you in go. the uh in the uh, the rhone uh region so uh oh, ha- haven't made it to burgundy yet but uh will i mean yeah. of course as you know uh i'm from san francisco so we we have our nice little wine country uh, oh, uh yes, here for ourselves yeah, uh, of, of which which we uh, indulge in <laughs> quite a bit uh, around this house yeah. so i i'm with you i i, I much uh, prefer uh, a nice um uh cabernet uh from yeah. uh, uh over uh, jack daniels any day so yeah <laughs> but cool. so you uh you got to work with uh, several uh great french artists but most important for me would be johnny halliday uh i'm fascinated mm-hmm. with him he, uh, he you know most americans don't know him um but uh yeah. and i think did did you get your first producing credit with uh two
1: um, i guess it was yeah yeah
2: and uh, and the and you brought in a guitar player uh to uh to do some of the licks uh for that song right
1: <laughs> yeah who was that, that again was, uh, that was um jimmy page who
2: just happens and, to be on um, just about everybody's record uh, prior to Led Zeppelin or or in the, those the days, new Yeah, books, he absolutely
1: right. was. He was yeah. a workaholic.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: But um he was always I mean it was he was he was really so good. You know, he was he was just you couldn't quite describe his style. I I feel in a way if anybody really influenced me, he he definitely was uh, amongst the top. Two or three uh he was a crafty player mm. he he um he had studied as he was playing so many sessions he was studying the american um, musicians you know who would play on those uh re-recorded versions of uh, uh of, of you know their their songs in the states
4: mm-hmm.
1: and um so he was Constantly playing on the on what were the popular songs of the day. and um, he uh, he was learning his technique that way, playing with uh, he played with English musicians, he played with a lot of American musicians. and between he and um, and John Paul Jones, you know they they had they had the lockdown on um the studio the uh, studio work yeah. yeah
2: yeah yeah couldn't you couldn't get your toe in uh, edge wise because of uh, of that huh
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so, but boy they were good they yeah. we're good yeah and and
2: that's they what, still a, are. and uh, a tu cas is, is a great song uh and uh you yeah. know I can hear the beginnings of of, of you in there I, I think uh our listeners should go and 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 grab that to, to learn uh, yeah you know the first bits of producing because your producing will come in a little bit later here in our story so you also get to meet the Beatles there in Paris at the height of, of, of Beatlemania and while we Americans know the story of Ed Sullivan and you know them uh, their tours here uh, until uh, the the last one in Candlestick in '66. You know what was it like uh, in France? Was it the same Beatlemania that we saw here?
1: Um, yeah, pretty much. It was maybe not quite. I mean, America went absolutely ballistic. Yeah, for the for but the um, food, right. Yeah, uh, and um, I don't know. They. they I think they were more popular with uh, just girls and teenies, <laughs> teeny boppers, you know. Yeah, yeah especially at that early point. on.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, they hadn't, France hadn't quite caught up with it or anticipated it. Uh, so they were taken a bit by surprise. But um, uh, so was everybody who came anywhere near them and listened to them and saw them, you know. It was just, a, I mean, that's, that's the biggest gift I think I had was being born in that period, you know, oh, because it was an incredible the, period the of back. invention. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just thank God every time I, uh. I hear one of their songs, you know, it's like, my God. <laughs> yeah, thank you for Where opening the door. Where would we have been without you? Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. As, as we talk about in our, our, our uh, documentary series, Rock and Roll Archaeology, you know, uh, you know the early rock and roll, which we talked about, Little Richard, Gene Vincent, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Elvis, obviously Chuck Berry. You know, that they they lasted only about three years, and and then it kind of you know uh, goes away. At least from the establishment, they think, oh, thank God, this rock and roll uh, was just a fad. Uh, yeah. and, uh and and yeah. definitely you know between about 1960 to uh you know the uh the the fab four taking over the world um you mm-hmm. know music is kind of now uh, uh, soul music african american music is is still making yeah. some really great strides but yeah. you know, on the other side of the coin white music is uh, trying to go back to some simpler easier um less uh, uh aggressive uh sound uh if you will until these guys you know and and yourself included because they they just open up the door and uh you know and then a a bunch of british acts follow right behind them uh that you know reinvent uh this and turn it into this giant um cultural event that is going on Mm. now for for 60 years. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned in a, a podcast we did with the Zildjian Company that uh, there's a a, a a piece that uh, came out of the, the the research with them that uh, they told us that the day after, uh, w- well, within a few weeks after the first appearance on Ed Sullivan, they got so many orders for symbols that it took them 15 years to
1: clear out the backlog. <laughs> really?
2: That's just how wow. significant uh, they were. So now I, I brought them up because— yes, similar, you, some,
1: Somewhat similar to ventilators. Uh, today. I guess.
4: <laughs> I, guess, I guess so. Sorry,
2: maybe maybe we should talk to sink. the Zildjian. Oh, we got a little bit of your humor here, Mick. Uh, maybe we should talk to the Zildjian <laughs> company about making ventilators. Yeah. Uh, they probably do oh, a very go. good job. So I, I, yeah, I, bring, I bring the Beatles up because you did get to meet with them and hang with them right there at the uh, Be- mm-hmm. Mania there in Paris. But most importantly, you do work with George Harrison on Dark Horse, uh, and you also work uh with ringo on frampton's uh, peter frampton's album wind of, winds of uh, wind of change right mhm so what what was it like actually now working with beatles
1: well i mean i had met them in paris we were i was um playing with um uh, uh, a friend who I'd, I'd met who actually ended up who who turned out to be um, Sui Latan's uh, brother, and Sui Latan was the
2: married to Johnny Holiday.
1: W- was married to Johnny Halliday, so I kind of joined the family. Yeah, I was. They, they kind of took me under their wing, uh, being a starving, you know, ho- um, guitar player in Paris, <laughs> uh, and um, they, they really did. They, they, they provided a it was it was it was a tough um, tough couple of years for me, mm-hmm. and um, they really uh, looked after me and treated me like a member of the family. And um, I ended up uh, joining her band. And um, Johnny Halliday, who was um, had no shame in that area, he downright just walked in and stole me away from her as a guitar player.
2: <laughs> right from the wife's <laughs> band. Wow.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so it was a sort of a kind of a weird family affair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, anyway, um, that opened up a lot of doors for me and, um, I started to, um, uh, be able to afford to, uh, to, um, you know, live a little higher standard of life and, um, uh, you know, open, open my, uh, horizons mm-hmm. a, a little, mm-hmm. quite a lot.
2: Including getting and, um, to hang out with the Beatles.
1: Yes. Um, and one night we were playing on the same bill as them in Paris at the, uh, Olympia Theater, which is a famous old, uh, yeah uh, theater in Paris. Mm-hmm and um uh, we were opening no uh a, a, an artist called Trini Lopez. I, I don't know whether you've yeah, ever of course heard that name, yeah, i'm sure um he came um he, he was opening the show he had just had that big hit uh, if I had a hammer, yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was pretty weird, but it was it was fun and um and then um uh I was on the side of the stage, I'd finish off our part and and you know, Mal Evans who was the
2: uh Yeah, the the Beatles,
1: the, all, the all around Mackay. Yeah yeah yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Yeah. Good old Mal. He, he
1: he would um yeah, he would run run on stage carrying their amps and guitars. And just, uh I kind of like bumped into him several times. Um but, um, you know, we managed to get a laugh out of it each time. And then one night, the um, the curtain would come down after we uh, finished, and uh, then the, the Beatles would come on as we were leaving the stage. And as we were leaving the stage, John Lennon and I collided. And um, I think I must have said some ex- expletive of word to, you know, Punctuate my feeling, <laughs> and um, and uh, he, he came up to me. and said, "Hey lad, are you English?" And he said, "We didn't know you were. We thought you were one of these froggies." <laughs> and I, said, and I said, "Actually, no. I'm uh, yeah, I'm British." So "Oh, come come up to the dressing room, and uh, hang with the with with the guys." And uh, I kindly accepted the invitation, and uh, and that was the beginning of uh, like five or six days of a hard day's night, wow. in in uh, you know just traveling around Paris, to and fro the shows, playing you know all night long in the uh, in the hotel, playing guitars, and just me just sitting there like in a trance almost like, what is, am I really here? Am I really doing this kind of, am I actually looking over at Paul McCartney? Keeps swapping the the shape of the guitar because he uh, plays left left and right handed. Right, right. right. Oh, he he uh, does
2: play both, huh?
1: Yeah, he plays both. Mm. But um, I don't know, so many things happened in that night in my mind. I, I had you know, I I was so pumped. I I couldn't believe what had what had happened quite that I had been there in the midst of You I mean got, that was
2: you got the Willy Wonka golden ticket.
1: <laughs> is that what they call it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Now, and this is you said this That's is a good the, one, I the, remember that. Yeah, the the golden ticket, yes. The Olympia Theater in Paris. So this is like January of nineteen sixty four where they mm. have their three-week residency. So you're on the bill with that. That is when they are mm. told that uh, they have a number one hit in America and they are going to yep. America. Wow. That's yep. that's yep. amazing. That's a great, great story. Yeah. Like talking to somebody who was there when that seminal event exactly. occurs. Yeah. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I can imagine and I, I can feel from... Fifty years history that it still is an important yeah. moment
1: in your life, oh yeah um a kind of we actually were able to sort of recreate it in a in a new different way um we were in stockholm and um uh, we were to i think we were there for about two or three days and um uh we get a phone call from London, and um, guess who it is this time? It's um, Robert Plant, and <laughs> oh, he's York. calling me up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, he calls, calling me up from London, congratulating me on the number one. Uh, I want to know what love is worldwide. Oh, in, in and, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm sort of, I, I knew him very, very vaguely. I mean, we we weren't sort of friends at that point, but mm-hmm. um, uh, so I got this incredible phone call. I don't know how to explain how I felt after that either. It I was, can imagine, uh, yeah, yeah. It was, wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, 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 uh,
2: the, 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 uh, the Viking God himself, uh called yeah, him to congratulate grab. you uh on a job <laughs> well done. Uh he yeah. f- for you know He said
1: it Mick, Mick he- please if you got any more of those songs <laughs> I'll just take
2: one play them for
1: me first. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, Of course I will.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh so so after six years of of being in 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 france you uh head back home to the uk and you end up in spooky tooth uh working with gary wright uh on uh, chris yep. blackwell's island label uh and of course we'll we'll get to foreigner in just a minute here but i i find it interesting because this is now a, your first collaboration with an american singer which is duplicated later so it was that Coincidence, or 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 am I off there? Is there is there something there?
1: Well, um, Gary and I shared very close uh, taste in music together. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I I loved what he's done in in Spooky Tooth. Mm-hmm. I was uh, honoured to actually join the band and be part of it. Uh, and um, you know he. I, I just happened to it was a great time for him i guess and and then I kind of made it a great time for me in those years mm-hmm. by joining with him and um you know i i really did um i guess that's where my if style if we call it that um Starts focus. Really
2: starts to come into focus. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, uh, yeah, the,
1: but... the fact of using a um, a two vocal prong, two pronged vocal attack uh-huh. um, with Mike Harrison uh, as the uh, as the lower um, tenor part right. singer, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I suddenly got an image of, wow, this sounds familiar. How how, how where have I heard this? And um, I thought about it, and I thought, "Oh, I know. It's it's the Righteous Brothers. They're the only they the Righteous Brothers. And in a certain yeah. other way, um, the, Ever- the Everly Brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, the Righteous Brothers were the first to have the two." You know the Very high and the distinct low vocals,
2: yeah, uh, as opposed yeah. to Everly's, which almost blends so well. You, it almost sounds like a single voice. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, I hear you. Okay, okay, so that's where the inspiration came from. That and you, because yes, you duplicate that uh, later in Foreigner. Mm-hmm. So picking this up as you're working with Gary, uh, at the, and I think you were in like one of the last, if not the last, iteration of Spooky Tooth,
4: right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. and then yeah. he
2: goes and does a, a solo project, which I, I had the chance to interviewed gary a couple of years ago when uh this artifact uh was discovered remastered called ring of change uh from yeah. what was called the wonder wheel project uh and yeah. that had been in the dustbin for 40 years uh mm-hmm. and you play on that uh on that album
1: yeah it's a bit foggy at that, that time but um yeah gary had um and i had been um you know playing together at that point for a couple of years we were became great friends and and then um unfortunately uh you know um people became
2: sort of put, put it out
1: yeah right? yeah and um and uh, and basically you know Gary was approached by a, a manager in new york d anthony mm. to um to um pursue a, a solo career mm and in in a way, I, I couldn't, you know, blame him. But he his leaving the band meant the demise of the band, and yeah. uh, and me surviving in New York City in 1975, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, living um, in uh, in a in a different kind of world. <laughs>
2: well, from it's France challenging and. From, and, yeah. and a, yeah. Yeah. So you go from Paris back to uh, yeah. London for a bit now to New York. I think you end up in Leslie West's uh, one of his uh, projects right. uh, for a bit. Yeah. Uh, and mm. that doesn't work because uh, Leslie has his own um, personal uh, drug issues. Yeah. Uh, when you get right down to it and uh, you're now mm. back, <laughs> almost back to the beginning, living uh, pretty close to squalor uh, in New York City. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm existing at that point with um royalties uh, that are coming in from my writing um career in France. Mm-hmm. Luckily I had that to to fall on but um it was very shaky time. Uh, it was a, a kind of a dangerous time in New York those late uh, 70s um, oh god yes yeah 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 mid mid to late 70s it yeah i
2: think the city goes bankrupt. A, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so at that yeah. time so not the best i mean we time could be, be in left for now. more of that right oh well let's let's cross our fingers we can get out of yeah. of, of that but yeah so yeah, yeah I, I think you're you're living near the george washington bridge i i or tunnel uh, if i if i remember right uh and uh uh you were Midtown Tunnel. Mid oh the Midtown Tunnel. And uh yes. y- you get to meet uh I think Bud Prager and that changes things for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you start yeah. to put uh, your own act together uh, in mm-hmm. uh, in a 1976, uh, and so uh, and 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 diggers, uh, please. Now we've gone from 1961 to 1976. That that is a 15 year climb uh, to mm-hmm. get to, into this position, and and luckily, now it's really going to work out for you. Uh, so, mm-hmm. y- you know. 76 is where it really all comes together for you. You assemble a real Anglo-American super group, uh, two Brits and three Americans. Uh, and I think originally the band was called Trigger, but it was changed to form. Yeah. Is that correct? Um, That's so, correct. Yeah. So uh, the first question is, how did you put this together and why these particular guys?
1: Well, um, but, uh Bud Prager, who you referred to earlier, um, had uh, been the manager of of, uh, Leslie West when I joined Leslie West. And Mm -hmm. um, and when I was playing with Leslie West, he was my manager too, I guess. And um, uh, Leslie had been getting away with so many crazy shenanigans and unfortunately a, a darker side of that too. Yeah. And um you know, we were some horror stories of being left in the middle of nowhere uh, after after Leslie had absconded with the guitar from the support band. And uh
2: Oh and um, and, and, and uh and pawned it, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it was looking really grim, you know, and um and uh you know, it was a real low point in in my uh, in my in my search for you know success or whatever. Uh, it was it was a I thought well I was kind of high and dry in New York, just getting by, and I thought, wow, Dennis, is it is, is it dental <laughs> time? <laughs> <laughs> have I have I spent too long in spooky tooth? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, oh,
2: that's a good. Hey, snug <laughs> went hey, in
1: on you there. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. So, but uh, isn't it always darkest before the dawn?
1: That's what they say, and if you could say that was certain, certainly the case was with us. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, you know, the band was uh, comprised at that point of um, a dear friend of mine, uh, Ian Lloyd, who was the ex singer for from the stories, the um American band. And um on um I uh, I also met up with uh, Ian um yeah Ian McDonald, McDonald. yeah ex King ex
2: King Crimson.
1: Ex King Crimson um working
2: with Mr Fripp. We
1: had become pre- friendly, friendly I'm sorry?
2: I said working with Mr. Fripp.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and um uh I was it, it took uh, a long time to settle on the vocal um position, you know. Uh I knew yeah, it was a reference you- that I was working off from those singers that I had I played with or or emulated or whatever. Um I um I knew it was. I, it wasn't going to be easy to find a singer that could um, get into these songs and really bring some magic out of them. Uh, I thought I we had the powerful. The songs were coming along, but it was all about who was going to portray them and sing them. It was the key, you know, obviously. Mm, oh and, God. Um, uh, so that took a while.
2: Yeah, I understand you. You auditioned like over forty people to yeah. try to yeah. get that right voice yeah. um, that mm-hmm. would sell these songs. Uh,
1: because yeah,
2: it all comes down to that, doesn't it?
1: At the end of the day, as one of the people you referenced earlier said, uh, it's a job. After all, <laughs> you know? yeah, you know it is a job, and a job is to be successful at it and make enough money to. Not have to worry about, you know, next week's uh, wages.
4: Right,
2: right, right, right. So, so you you bring in uh, uh, Al Greenwood, um, uh, as you you mentioned, Ian McDonald. Uh, I think you got uh, uh, Ian Hunter's drummer. You stole Ian Hunter's drummer, I believe, uh, <laughs> Dennis Elliott. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then ended with uh, Ed uh, uh, Gag. Gaggy, gag, Gagliardi. Gagliardi. excuse me. Uh yeah. on bass. Uh, uh, I believe he's passed uh, rest in peace. Uh yeah. and um mm-hmm. uh and now it's just finding the right singer, and you stumble across this uh band uh black sheep, right? Uh-huh. And that's did right. you know I, um, I think I I did read that like as soon as you put the needle down, you're like, that's the guy.
1: hmm yeah, I pretty much knew uh, immediately. Um, it was uh, something about the the timbre of the voice and the fact that he had he was like a big fan of uh, Steve Winwood. Uh, um, uh, yeah, that was Steve Winwood was mm-hmm. one of the voices I had in my head when I'd write songs. You know, it would. Um, when I, before I had a, uh, fixed, uh, singer, um, yeah, go big or go I, I home. Keep, huh?
4: Yeah. Steve yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, I, I had, I had met with Steve. I had, I, um, during those years, I toured with him when he was, uh, still in traffic. Mm.
4: Oh, wow. and,
1: um, yeah, I mean, there was there was another little period that was really uh, very cool. Was uh, working with the guys from Traffic and uh, yeah, and uh, them more so being one of my favorite bands. And um, anyway, so.
2: So Lou Graham. Is the the, the yeah. guy that that finishes up this uh, this outfit? Like I said, three Americans, two Brits. You've got another mm-hmm. American singer you're working with, uh, kind of like what you were doing with uh, with Gary Wright, although it doesn't sound like that was consciously done. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you you know put this group of songs together. Uh, and I understand that uh, somehow the, the mix didn't work and you end up remixing the album. Why why, why did that happen?
1: Well, um, Ian and I had become pretty, um, much of a, 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 a you know, a mixing kind of little partnership. And, um, we, you know, he, Ian had great taste as well. And, uh, we we sort of developed um, uh, the style of working together, and um, we were both on the same page. And uh, it, it, it still meant that we would spend tremendous amounts of hours in the studio, spending tremendous amounts of money. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. What are you yeah, it's, do? <laughs> it's
2: it's not uh, boys and girls it's not like today's uh in uh, a recording yeah. studio at home which you know so no. many of us have. Uh yeah, the, uh-huh. the these were few and far between and very expensive per hour.
1: Yeah. Certainly were. But it was um it was like a um well what, what would you say uh it was like um uh you know you'd brag about it uh, people would come up to you basically and say you know so how many hours did you spend on that album how many million dollars did you spend on that <laughs> kind yeah. of thing yeah. i remember having to answer or people trying to get that out of me you know and it was a lot of it was crazy you know that, that was the motivation for for their work so you know i guess that's the way they did it um, and we did a bit of it too, until we realized how much money and uh, important times of our life we were missing as well
2: so why why did you feel that it needed to be remixed before it was released?
1: Um, it just really hadn't um captured the way we the way I had seen the seen it as a finished product in my head. Oh, okay. I kinda I I I'm you know, I'm very critical, Mm -hmm. self critical as well. And um but it's um you know and I had to feel it was so important, obviously it was it was the um uh this was your moment. You knew
2: it. You knew this was this was this was was either this or dentist dentistry was coming.
1: Yes, and uh, the teeth weren't doing it, <laughs> and the image of the dental uh, thing wasn't doing it. But um, yeah, so um, we—he was very critical. I was very critical, and uh, you know, we we worked very very well on those first couple of albums, and. Um, Oh, you know, the, was, uh... the
2: first four albums are, you know, yeah. just one after another are amazing. But mm-hmm. let's start March 77, you, you release their, your debut album, Foreigner, and it is filled with huge hits. Uh, mm. Now you guys are kind of like the new Beatles. Uh, what was that <laughs> moment like when, I mean, uh, this album literally <laughs> drops and, out the gate, uh, it's yeah. it's a hit. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I'll, I don't uh, uh, say these very often, but I will hear. Um, the first two albums I bought uh, with my own money, uh, I have older brothers and sisters and aunts, and I'd gotten a fairly decent record collection. But the first two albums, I actually took my money. I'd sold a bunch of greeting cards, went down to the record store, and I bought two albums. The first was Styx's Grand Illusion, which came out that year, and
1: yeah. your album. Oh, thank you. Good, yeah. good investment.
2: Yeah, it was a good investment. Yes, uh, uh, yeah. and, and in fact, uh, as uh, as I was telling you, uh, reacquainting ourselves with the uh, with the catalog, uh, my wife and I last night were like, "Oh my God, Head Knocker! That was mm-hmm. a great song." Which wasn't exactly one of the hits. The hits on that song no. feels like the first time Cold as Ice, Long Long Way from yeah. Home. Uh, but for me. I really love that song, uh, "Head Knocker." Oh, thank
1: you. Yeah, we um, we're featuring that a bit more again in our shows.
2: Yeah, in fact, uh, yeah. Uh, the '78 live performance, uh, which I believe was from the Rainbow in London. Uh, yeah. it ends, uh, you use that as the, the, uh, the, uh, the encore song, which tells me how important mm-hmm. that song is, uh, to you guys yeah. and was at the, at its time. Um, so mm-hmm. well, we got to get you back on the road so I can, uh, actually see you performing here. So, all mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Yeah. along with that first, uh, a, like I said, a string of giant albums, there's not a bust in the bunch. Uh, next comes Double Visions, then, uh, Head Games. And then finally, uh, a billboard number one uh, with "Foreigner Four. Um, It's almost like a a game plan uh, for the 70s. It's almost like that entire 15 years of you working your ass off really does prepare you for what is required. You know, a lot of people don't do very well with that sophomore effort. But I think double vision is even bigger and more important than foreigner was and the same with the third album and obviously the same with the fourth album which you know just just to let the 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 listeners know you know we're we're talking uh, double vision has hot-blooded blue morning blue day double vision those are three huge hits um uh you also have uh um uh dirty white boy love on a telephone women and and head games uh off of um, uh, the the uh, off, uh, well, off the Net games album, and then uh, mm-hmm. Foreigner Four has got <laughs> Jukebox Hero, uh, you know, Urgent, uh, another favorite of mine. Uh, waiting for the girl, uh, waiting for a girl like you, and break mm-hmm. it up. It's just that that's that's a huge grouping mm-hmm. of songs in uh you know about a five year period. Uh, it just I, I, I mean, where do you go from there?
1: Yeah, that's, um, it's, well, luckily we've, I mean, it's been daunting at times, you know, and you always know that there are people, competitors or peers or whoever are going to be listening and, you know, and um, who are going to hopefully be buying. And um, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking.
2: Okay, as, as I was just talking about, uh, you know, these this string of four albums, all top five, uh, four and a four uh, in uh, the number one position in 1981. But, of course, the music industry is changing dramatically as you guys are accomplishing this feat. Yeah, punk, new wave, electronic music, hip-hop is just starting, metal. They're all creeping into the scene and changing the, the current sounds to something new. But you guys kinda are committed to remain in that classic sound so how how did you manage that and and re- still remain so relevant
1: um well I, I guess that as as much as it's always been um you know i i set out to 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 make albums that that have things that uh, excite me you know um if, whether you know great vocal lines uh great singing great drum fills and everything and we 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 put everything we can without weighing it down you know and then it's a process of elimination what what you actually end up going with mm-hmm. but um there's tremendous amount of um commitment goes into those albums
4: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and um you know uh I guess you could call me a taskmaster or a <laughs> perfectionist. <you know, laughs> I'm <iron> up, <laughs> But um you know uh I I do demand a very high performance from everybody that works on the albums. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um myself included.
2: Were, so, were you were you were you affected by this other kind of music coming around? And, you know, I mean, obviously in the UK, you know, the punk uh, scene mm-hmm. was a big splash yeah. uh, in '77. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously the Sex Pistols, Clash uh, are, are a big deal. You have the new wave, of British heavy metal, which is a, a big deal. But uh, none of these things really. Mm-hmm. You you know, you see other bands that kind of like, oh, this thing is happening. I think we should incorporate some of that into our sound. Yeah, but you don't do that. You do not do that at all. No. No, no, you're just um, building on this this vision, which I think we both agree, kind of starts a little bit around the spooky tooth uh uh era where you realize ah, this group of instruments really speaks to me, and that is kind of mm. duplicated in foreigner- obviously with much greater success.
1: Mm.
2: does that sound about right
1: yeah yeah i um it's difficult, you know, analyzing. I, yeah. I, if I start analyzing it, I, I <laughs> kind of lose lose my way a bit. Um, I prefer much more that, um, you know, it's the, these are spontaneous um, get-togethers in the studio. That uh-huh. uh, Okay, yeah, we can rehearse that song or two for a few days. That's that's fine, depending on how much time you got, uh, what the schedules are like. Schedules at the moment are incredibly full. Thank God. Yeah. But um, uh, we, um, you know, nevertheless, it, it, it takes a tremendous amount of concentration and uh, preparation. And and the current band members are all very much contributors as well. And um, you know, we'll be um, featuring a, a little more as we go along. Mm-hmm. and uh, so you know it, we're trying to maintain that um, feeling of a band it, it really is it's it's the most fun I've, I can remember being actually being in a band that uh, I walk into a bunch of smiles every night and they persist during the performance and I come off stage you have you man. I can imagine. So
2: I can imagine. Yeah. So, so around this time, uh, this new channel shows up called MTV, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, foreigners already at the top of the game. Uh, and in 1984, you guys uh, release uh, Agent uh, Provocateur, which ends up having the biggest hit, I think, still of your career. I want to know what mm-hmm. love is. Uh, and I think yeah. that benefited from the marketing of that channel. You, you think that's a, a fair assessment?
1: Um, I would say so. Yeah, uh, it was. Um, it, it caused that particular song. I want to know what love is. Has caused differences of opinion within the band. You know, um, uh, as as as. Um, you know, being being signifying that we're taking it easy, we're going soft, we're giving up the rock <laughs> edge and all that kind of stuff. And it's like That's oh the, well it's really the age well, of
2: power ballads. I mean, you know, you got yeah. hard rock bands that are doing Songs yeah. like that, I—that's—but yeah. uh, I can see where uh, where internally uh, there may be questioning. Uh, but what do you say when it becomes one of the biggest selling singles of all time?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, proofs in the. What party. do you say exactly? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, um, no, I, I'm 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 still very proud of that. I uh, I don't share the opinion that uh, the, that we locked Lost the Rock Edge. Um if you listen to those albums um that were made after I Wanna Know A Lot of This, they um they're pretty they've got some pretty tough stuff in them
2: yeah yeah yeah. this is just a, a one of a collection of songs uh, on, yeah. on, on an album out there even though it's you know the one that stands out uh, at that particular mm-hmm. time so yeah. uh, let's talk a little bit because it is such a, a, a big and important song oh uh, you know uh, the how you write um uh, is it always the same process for you is it kind of more workmanlike uh, you know reminds me of Jackson Brown who you know every every day, you know, starts with a cup of coffee and sits down at the piano and then just, you know, goes back and back and back. Or is it more immediate inspirational kind of like uh Elton John or you know, who just like yeah, gets his lyrics from Bernie and starts, you know, writing yeah. a song in 10 minutes or or is it something in between?
1: Yeah, it's um it's really, you know, I I find it difficult to work to a schedule in a way that's probably why I'm not a, you know, a a Broadway uh, songwriter or something. (laughs) You know, I, I, uh, yeah, I, um, I need, I need um, a clear kind of road to, to drive down. You know, and uh, I, I don't really um, admire what Bernie Taupin does. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. How, how closely he, he can. represent Elton's passion and build the passion in the songs and, and write superb uh, melodies, I mean uh, lyrics, and, um, and, and really uh, get inside the songs. So um, I'm more in that, that direction. Right.
2: Right, right, right. Where you and Lou could work together and uh, and put the, that same sort of two heads uh, uh, to uh, yeah. to create the whole uh, out there. But it's uh, I think as you're, you're you're saying, it's more the muse needs to strike as opposed to just hammering it out uh, every day. Yeah. OK. All right. So, all right. First, it must be said you guys had one hell of a run. I mean, 10 years of solid hits. You're owning the touring business uh uh, but in 87, Inside Information becomes the first album not to chart in the top 10. So by the late 80s, music has changed so much. It seems as if, you know, the public is kind of tiring of the foreigner sound or, or mm-hmm. you know, is that fair to, to, to say? And, and now with hindsight being 2020, you know, uh, would, you, would you or could you have changed things at that moment or is just the nature of the business?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, unfortunately, the uh, chemistry between Lou and I took a bit of a hit. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was fairly strong-minded about what he wanted to do, which was, uh, to me, Kiss F was branch out and do a solo album, you know. Uh, there are people who can pull that off. But, uh-huh. um I don't think. Um, I, I think there are certain that can't. Unfortunately, right. Um, right. They can have a, a single or a big hit, but um, as far as a career goes, I think it's very difficult to maintain it as as an ex leader of or an ex lead singer of, you know, whoever. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And uh, he went and uh, and uh, started a band called Shadow King uh for a short yeah. period of time. Uh and but you guys do come back together, which this is a weird story that I, I found that it you guys reconciled mm. over the LA Rodney King riots.
1: That's right. We were I I was in LA. Lou was um, up in his hometown of Rochester and um was was flying in to meet to work and um Uh, um, they were shooting at the airplanes coming in. So he ran the gamut. uh, Jesus. (laughs) And we, you know, they closed down everything, planes, transport. It was like a ghost town, like it is in New York at the moment. Yeah. It's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I I, I was in the uh, San Fernando Valley uh, at that moment. Yeah. So I, I remember being... <clears throat> you know, afraid how far north was this coming? Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I guess when but, two um, old friends are uh, put under, uh, I don't know, warlike conditions conditions, uh, <laughs> m- maybe all of the extraneous uh, issues uh, melt away and, and you're left realizing, yeah. hey, we really got a good thing going on.
1: Yeah, I think that's really what happened to us at the um, Hall of Fame. The Songwriters Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, we we hung out together for a day, and um, did the uh, acceptance the next night, which was incredible. And I think we both sort of it brought it home that we, what we had achieved, and um, you know the the depth of recognition that we had, and uh, it was just great. Just um, and really that's that's all I need. Yeah, yeah. Is um, you know, the the uh, respect from my peers,
4: mm-hmm.
1: let's say, and um, you know, just uh, just out here still trying to make a buck or two, right? To say, right, right, right. <laughs>
2: So so you guys kinda of got back together. Uh you went on some tours, uh, but I Lou had some health uh issues uh and whatnot. So yeah. in two thousand six, you found someone who could pull off these songs with some sort of authenticity in Kelly Hansen, and he's been mm-hmm. with you ever since. How how lucky were you to find another voice that 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 could fit those songs so well?
1: Well, Kelly came along really with not only the voice but a tremendous um stage presence yeah and um uh, I really welcomed that because um although we'd had some some great great uh, rock hits um we we had never really conquered the stage with those hits uh-huh. as as far as I could see. I felt that we still had a little bit left in reserve there to um, to go for uh, a bit more of an aggressive uh, stance and stage and and um, and, uh, and and the presence of a commanding lead singer. Um, Lou was one of the best singers in the world, obviously. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So from from I'm not taking anything away from him at all, you know, but, uh, um, it was, it was a, a, a big change to have, uh,
2: a more dynamic, uh, stage presence.
1: So we see the, the heat wasn't on him so much, didn't
4: it? Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, he was, um, and the, so we've done shows, you know, with Lou. Oh, yeah, coming back. Two. Well, yeah. uh, to me, yeah. that's
2: that's incredible uh, in the sense, I, I, look, I, I'm a lead singer in a classic rock band uh, myself, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine the guys that I, I'm I'm singing standing behind me as I'm doing it. That would intimidate the shit out of me.
1: Well, that that was what sort of swung in for me when I first heard Kelly sing. We did the same process. We sent, mm-hmm. like, a... Uh, uh, a two or three song demo karaoke right yeah, yeah and um it was immediately obvious to me that I thought now we've have only auditioned about three people that really cut it i mean for me it was immediate there was a certain timbre in Kelly's voice that i had, that i heard that had um really reminded me of Kelly's uh,
2: Kind of like when you first uh, when you first heard Lou uh, on on record, uh, it was same sort yeah. of thing. Immediately, you knew this yeah. was the guy, right? Yeah. Right. And then in 2009... thousand, and ab- oh, I'm um, go ahead.
1: No, just and his ability to um, to understand the song and how it should be sung, mm-hmm. and also at the same time personalizing it, and um, you know hell out of it every night yeah yeah and um i i rang the bell rang and that was it you know
2: yeah yeah and then in 2009 you get back into the studio now armed with kelly on vocals and you guys get yourselves back into the top 40 uh you know not bad for a band that's been around for over 30 years now um why do you think that album worked so well for the public
1: um well i think um you know, that things had kind of uh, changed. The, the wheel had turned, um, as it keeps on doing. And um, I, I kind of went into that feeling that we should just do as much as we could. We'd keep it as, um, not try and go in and make a so-called, you know, like uh, updated album with new that I don't think that would work for us or really for anybody
4: mm.
1: so we just had to sort of go in and um and dig down and uh there were a few um ideas that I'd had in uh in waiting and um a couple of good good tracks came out of that album, and uh certainly have um, gained some recognition over here, yeah, yeah
2: very nice very nice and then uh, while you produced it along with uh, Marty Fredrickson um uh, that's right yeah there's one track that was produced by then a hot young producer who has since gone on to become a household name for himself uh Mark Olson uh <laughs> he of Uptown Funk maybe the best song produced in the last decade uh mm-hmm. Why did you let your stepson uh, into the control room, and how do you think he did for you on that track?
1: You know, he's he's a wonderful guy, apart from anything else even. You know, he's he's so—he's um, cool, calm, and collected, and he's also a great human being. He's, a real, he's the real—he's a guy that does a lot of good in the world. He mm-hmm. interests himself in a lot of very worthy causes and— yeah. um, Apart from just being a you know a music super producer and, uh, and super musician star. himself,
2: uh, yeah, yeah uh, uh, the you know playing with some of the the greatest artists of the last decade, uh, Amy Winehouse, and yeah. Gaga, uh, the list could go on. Yeah. But this is not his interview. This is your interview. But let's just say he he learned uh, some things from you. I think would be fair.
1: Yeah, he's a couple of times he's um, he's taken me aside. Somewhere, or somebody comes over for an autograph or whatever. You know, the weirdest kind of way these things happen. But um, uh, he he, he very often turned to me and said, Mick said, um, I really owe a lot of this this stuff to you. You're such a great influence on me. And, you know, it's usually something just like that. And it's kind of um quite disarming <laughs> and uh <laughs> he's uh but um it's it's great to know that um you know, I I did something good for him. Uh and that I contributed to uh Yeah. You know it's it's very nice it's a very nice feeling from for me. I bet. Personally. And yeah. um yeah, he's he's a great guy. Yeah. What can I say?
2: So now speaking of producing, not only have you been behind the boards for all of Foreigner Works, but you've done a few side projects. Uh, Billy Joel's mm-hmm. Stormfront, uh, which has We Didn't Start the Fire on it. Uh, still Friends, uh, I think you're you, – in fact, I saw that urgent that you guys did with uh, Billy's residency at MSG last night on fire. That was really amazing. Uh, the Colts, Beyond uh, Good and Evil, Ben E. King, Save the Last Dance. But here's what I know everybody wants to hear. They want to hear about you replacing Ted Templeman on Sammy Agar's first album with the Van Halen Brothers, 5150. How did that come about, and how do you feel about taking a band at the height of their fame and making a controversial lead vocal change?
1: Well, um, I think uh, when I've been approached about pr- production, I think for strong vocal performances,
4: mm-hmm.
1: um, overall arrangements, and stuff like that, plus somebody who has had the experience of, um, you know, making very successful. Rock records.
2: Yeah, and Sammy had been and, uh, definitely kind of a journeyman kind of guy, almost like yourself.
1: Yeah, and we, yeah we go back a long, long way. And mm-hmm. um, some uh, backup, you know. <laughs> so he's uh, he's great. He, he And he always gives 100% of everything he does, you know. So uh, it, it wasn't a, a difficult assignment, really. They were well prepared. You know, it was whether... I was going to take a chance. I just felt that I needed to step out and get a little fresh air from uh, from my band, and um, and uh, it worked well. It was a bit of a refreshing kind of tonic at that point in my uh, in my career. So I bet, I bet, no now, regrets.
2: No, <laughs> great album, by the way, uh, and stellar production uh, on it. So uh, a couple of, of questions here. Um, uh, you know, I did a Grammy and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame search. And how the fuck are you and Foreigner not ever gotten those accolades?
1: Um, I don't really talk about it as much anymore. <laughs> it's just, I, don't, I don't get pumped up about it. Let's put it that way. We, uh, we've been nominated a few times for different things, but, you know, we all know what that me yeah, you can win yeah it's and, uh, it,
2: you know let's face it it's a popularity contest uh yeah. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, we, we have a show on our network who cares about the rock hall with, uh, Kristen Stewart and Joe Quazala, uh, who every week, uh, discuss the good and bad and ugly of, uh, the rock and roll, uh, hall of fame. So, uh, I just, I'm surprised. I was really surprised that you have three Grammy nominations, but not a, not a win that, that really shocked me. Uh, I, I think you yeah. guys will get into the rock and roll hall of fame, uh, one way or another. Uh, But I was Mm -hmm. just really surprised about that. So uh, as we said at the top, although it looks like 2020 is a bust for touring, you were planning on going out on the road with a massive reformation of all things foreigner, having originals, Lou Dennis, Dennis Elliott, Ian McDonald and Al Greenwood join Kelly, Tom Gimble, Jeff Pilson, Michael Bluestein, Bruce Watson and Chris Frazier. It just sounds like that was going to be a blast.
1: Oh yeah, it um it has been and uh, will be hopefully, you know. Uh Do you think the real the span, uh, the jukebox
2: heroes uh, tour was going to move to 2021?
1: Um oh yeah. will will be, you know, as soon as we can safely, you know, feel safe about doing about putting not just uh, our safety in um together but Basically, you know, more, more, so, the 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 the, um, the danger for the fans. Yeah, we need to yeah. uh, be sure that we're not doing anything silly. Right. Obviously, and um, the opportunity we have will will be out there. Definitely.
2: Well, we want to see you out there as soon as possible. So, um, uh, I know you are also working on a musical. Uh, I think called Jukebox. Uh, how's that going? Is is there still work on that, or is that also just stopped yeah. at the moment?
1: Yeah, that stopped obviously with uh, what we've been doing, but mm-hmm. um, it's kind of on hold. Uh, we're looking at some new um, producers, and uh, so it's in you know it's in limbo a bit. But mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, this year we should be able to move it on a bit.
2: Let's hope so. Let's
1: it's hope a whole so. different whole different world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I was cut out for that. But, oh, uh, the
2: the musicals. The yeah, you well, you, uh, the musical side of things is that's a whole. Yeah, you're right. That's uh, that's like making movies or something like that. That's yeah, a, a whole yeah, other, yeah. Another very part alien. of the a, a, entertainment business. So you'll give them the songs right. and let them uh, put uh, put something together. That uh, at the end
1: of the day, that's the only way to do it. I think. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> all right.
2: All right. Yeah. Last question for you, Mick. Uh, just because you have been there almost from the very beginning of this rock and roll era which literally is going on 70 years. I mentioned that to somebody I was interviewing last week, and they were like, really? Seven? Yeah, think about it, 1955? Uh, we're, we're, we're coming up on 70 years. It's <laughs> pretty crazy. So pretty ha- yeah. having spanned almost the entire history of rock and roll yourself, and, and this is a big question, so please look into your crystal ball, go as far as you want, but where do you think this music will be in, say, 100 years?
1: Um, well, I was thinking about that uh it's obviously it's hard to say what if it's a, a, a music's been very resilient uh it's the first time that there's been that amount of um time of uh you know relevancy yeah. in 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 music, yeah. how important it's been sustained that way for seventy years, as you said. So it's going to take some, something really strong to take over the reins. Whether it's even music, whether, or there would be more in the electronic world of uh, more things that um, you know. These days, things are so sort of sophisticated. You could use them in in weapon, war weaponry. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. Um, the uh, the level of uh, sophistication. Um, so, music-wise, I, I, it's already changing quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a new era. There's a lot more interest. Yeah, definitely. And I kind of like it. it. It sounds to me like if some of these playlists sound like um, listening to my father's old albums when I was a kid. Oh, and it's like. Uh, yeah, I think nostalgia is a, a part of that. Yeah. Um, and um, as far as the music itself, I mean, it just depends how many um, how many great writers can come and, and do something about that. And um, you know, but I think um, music's come so far, I don't think it's just going to die out or... You know, I, I think there's, there's a long history ahead, future, for, um, for, for the kind of music we've been doing. Um, but uh, there again, I, I don't really know how to describe what we do. It's just uh, people seem to have fun listening to it. and As long as it's uh, good old fun as well, you know, I'm, I'm happy.
2: Well, Mick Jones, Thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Dixie today.
1: Thank you,
3: man.
2: Beaucoup, Monsieur Mick Jones. Tellement that was uh, my French for Mick spending so much time there. So very glad we could have him join us uh, for a little quarantine conversation. Oh, and uh, let's give it up to that Junior Walker sax solo from Urgent, along with more hooks than you'd find at any meatpacking plant. Of course, diggers, please go spend some time with all things Mick Jones on your music platform of choice. Also, um, go read his autobiography, A Foreigner's Tale, from your favorite bookseller. As I said at the top, uh, a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with foreigner. Uh, They love to hate them. Uh, That is, until they need a romantic song to get someone in the mood, or if they want to hear a big anthem to pump them up, or they need a good driving music for fun, or they just want to sing at the top of their lungs to songs that may have been overplayed at the time, but you know is at least a guilty pleasure. I know who you are. (laughs) Yeah, uh, like I said, the the band used to fit a category sometimes called arena rock or corporate rock. It's a derision for bands that really the, the crime is selling too many records. And at times, yeah, being considered rather bland musically or not in your face excitement or lyrically filled with insight and depth. But... You know, there's a lot of music out there for whatever mood you might be in, or for whatever emotional need you require. Uh, For the last two weeks, we did episodes on thrash metal and punk, uh, both of which are about as far apart musically as the dominating arena rock of the age. But like I said about those two musical genres being two sides of the same coin, yeah, I might suggest the creamy middle being bands like Foreigner. Yeah, see what you want about this rock act. They dominated the charts for about 10 years. Again, 16 top 40 hits and over 80 million albums sold. I can tell you, writing a single hit is like winning the lottery. Writing three to five pretty much guarantees you a lengthy career. What does 16 get you? A bad reputation for sucking the oxygen out of the room from other bands who might be worthy of a shot? Uh, but is that Mick's fault? Hells No. Uh, this is skill at a very high level. He can't be blamed for that. And that gets me to the big point I want to make here. While I was doing my research prior, prior to speaking with the man, I was shocked that Forner is not already in the Rock Hall and that they never received a Grammy, though they were nominated uh, three times. Uh, can't do much about the Grammys, but if Bon Jovi's in the hall, Forner should be as well. So I went to the expert on our Pantheon pod team and asked Joe Quazala from Who Cares About the Rock Hall why. And here's what Joe said, and I quote, While Foreigner is a big mainstream band, they have never been critically adored. And the hall has only recently started to warm up to those types of bands, Journey, Bon Jovi, Chicago. That only happened in the last four years. A lot of rock bands that aren't in the Hall think there's some conspiracy theory behind their exclusion, uh, but that's always disproved. I think the three bands that I just listed all throughout thought that and then, of course, were inducted eventually. And it's confirmed that Ahmet Erdogan, who was in charge of the Hall for many years, tried to get Foreigner on the ballot, but the nominating committee just wasn't feeling it. I'm sure foreigner will get in eventually too big to ignore, if you ask me. Some acts just have to wait, Un- end quote. So there is that. Uh, again, again, to me, it's all good. Uh, because foreigner's music has stood the test of time. And really, that's the judge for anything. Okay, next week, we continue with Legends uh, when we talk with Doug Cosmo Clifford of Creedence Clearwater Revival. He gives me all the good, bad, and ugly with the band from El Cerrito, California that authentically sounds like they all just walked out of a Louisiana swamp. The first band to truly knock the Beatles off the top of the pops. Join me for that one. Diggers, stay safe out there. And please keep up the rocking.
3: Out in the street, it's 6 a.m., another sleepless night. Three cups of coffee, but I can't clear my head from what went down last night.
0: Diggs is hosted by christian swain produced by christian swain and peter Farioli. sound designed by busy signal studios engineered by jerry danielson christy o'donnell and leslie barker find all of our shows notes and social links at pantheonpodcast.com contact us on social at pantheon podcast on facebook and instagram tweet us at pantheon pods All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming, wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.